Welcome, everybody, to our second week, um, which is still an introduction um, to a new book series in 1 Corinthians <clears throat> called Grow Up. Grow Up. And um, as you can see from our splash, you've got different stages of development. And we're all at different stages of development, but hopefully we're developing. Amen. And today's message is called God's Gracious Work, God's Gracious Work in the Church. Can you say that with me? God's Gracious Work, where? In the church, you know, and I aim to do this under three points. God's Gracious Work in the Church, <clears throat> with reference to the past, to the present, and also to the future. God's gracious work in the past, the present, and also in the future. Would you agree with me that growth is good? It's good, don't you think so? Someone said no. <laughs> You're just, just trying to be a troublemaker. But the reality is no. Okay, I like that. Growth is good, but maybe we could nuance that by saying sometimes the reality is, is growth isn't good. Or... Growth maybe not taking place is not good, is what I suspect that person means. I can't see so good because, as you can see, the light is on me real clear, but it's right in my eyes, so I can't even, I can't even hurt anybody up still. Um, how many of you know we all want our biological kids to grow, don't we? Whether that be physically, academically, socially. Um, with it culturally, we want our children to grow, don't we? You know what I'm saying? In, in a multiplicity of ways. How many of you know God, all, 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 God also wants his adopted children to grow, and that spiritually, so that we can engage academically, culturally, socially. The same was true for this church in ancient Greece. You know what I'm saying? God's desire for this church, this this work to grow. Let's read um, what the apostle has to say to this church um, here at the beginning of this chapter or just after the beginning. We've done the first three verses last week. Um, starting at verse 4 <clears throat> up to verse 9 and then I'll pray. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him... Christ Jesus, you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. <sighs> Lord, thank you for your healthy desire to see us come to a place of maturity. We also praise you for your power <laughs> that makes that happen. Lord, the Bible says, even in this book, one sows, another waters, but you are the one that brings about supernatural growth and development. Lord, would you grow us by your grace for your glory 
and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians is going to deal with a whole heap of different topics. We listed a number of them last week. But all of them fundamentally fall into three categories. Three categories. Three main categories where God is determined to see growth. And those three categories are in holiness, are also in unity, and in love. God wants to see his church holy, unified, and he wants to see his church loving. And it's funny how all three of these work together. And hopefully over the course of the next 30 weeks or so, we're going to see Paul unpack these three topics by looking at a number of different issues. But fundamentally, every single one of them is going to be related to these. Now, how many of you know that, that we, that is the church, are a project? <laughs> I mean, God's got a serious job on his, on his hands. I mean, it, and, and I'm not even talking about you. I'm talking about me. You know what I mean? If, if, if you know you, you know what I'm saying, you know that the church, we are a project. Or at least if we're honest about ourselves. But God is committed to our gradual growth. Thank God he's so merciful. Gradual growth. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it is really gradual, but there needs to be growth. God is committed to our ongoing development, what theologians call our progressive sanctification. Now we began to say last week that any motivation for our growth and our development in these three main areas have to be based on the gospel. It can't be just because Pastor Rob said so. You know what I'm saying? It can't be um, just because of, you know what I'm saying, external pressure. This has, this has to become implicit. It's got to, it's got to come alive in each one of us in a way that's outworked practically, but fundamentally based on God's work in our hearts, in our lives, through the gospel. We can't do this. We can't do these three things in our own strength. We can only do them because we are, guess what, in Christ. It's the only way we can do these things. It's the only way we're going to see any real growth in our lives is fundamentally, not because we're good people, not because we're smart, not because we're strong, not because we're black or because we're white, not because we're rich, or you're not prevented because you're poor. None of these things are going to happen apart from, apart from God's intervention and work in our lives. And fundamentally, because we're in Christ, I don't know if you heard the term as we read, But verse 3, as we're looking at it, says, in Christ Jesus. You note that. In Christ Jesus, that is the church. You know what I'm saying? We're called to be his holy people. It's not going to happen apart from being in Christ. It will only happen because we are in Christ. And when it comes to this issue of, of unity... You know, a little bit later we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12, um, verse 12 says, Just as a body, though numerous, no, 
the one has many parts, but all its parts, all its many parts are one body, so it is with the church. Now that's what you'd expect him to say. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, so it is with Christ. Because Christ, he completely evokes unity. You see it in the Trinity. No drama between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And when we are brought into that relationship, then I'm saying we are the ones who are expected to change. Thank God that the Trinity doesn't become like us. <laughs> then we would really be in trouble. We need to become more like God. And it happens because we're in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we ought to be one. We ought to be unified. It's not going to happen apart from Jesus. He will also mention in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll see this a, a bit later, he says, what I mean is this, he says, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Notice the schism. Notice the division. Notice the separation. You know, holiness means separation, but not this kind of separation. Separation from the world, being more like God. But this kind of separation is division and it's not healthy. You know what I'm saying? Some say, I follow one, I follow another. I follow Cephas, he's my apostle. Still another, I follow Christ. And then notice the question that Paul asks in verse 13. Wait a minute. Oh, so Christ is divided then, aren't you? Really? All right then. No. Jesus isn't divided. And he's the head of the body. That means the body ought not to be divided. We ought to be one, unified. Can you see that? And again, it's not going to happen. Apart. It's not expected to happen apart from Christ. The third thing, loving. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. It's one of the verses that I memorized years and years ago. But as it is written, not in this translation, it was New King James. But same thing. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for who? For those that love Him. That's where it starts, isn't it? For those that love him, because how I many of you know, we, we are never going to be able to love one another. We're never going to be able to love our enemies. And I say that, sadly, and that's in the same context, because some of us have enemies in the church, which is scandalous. But like, like my sister said, I think it was her sister who said earlier, you know what I'm saying, Sometimes, sadly, that's the truth. And I'm saying we're growing, but not in the right way or not growing at all. But notice, for those that love him, if you like, unless we first love God, we will not have love for other Christians, let alone non-Christians. If we don't have love for God, we're not going to have love for insiders, let alone outsiders. Can you see the gospel motivation? The only reason we're holy is because we're in Christ. The only reason we're unified is because Christ isn't divided. And the only reason we are loving towards others is because we love God 
And we only love him because he loved us first. Amen. The Old Testament says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, sometimes you could be like, well, I really ain't feeling myself right now, so therefore I don't need to love you. Maybe tomorrow I'll feel better and I might give you some, I might show you some, maybe. But how many of you know Jesus in the New Testament, he takes it to another level. Jesus doesn't say, he says, you know, the Old Testament says you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, okay, but here's a new commandment. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Now, there's no, there's no wriggling out of that one. Because the love that Jesus has for us, that's how we're supposed to love one another. You see, but, but, but what we're talking about here is an individual that's growing. We're talking about an individual who, even though you might not be at that place, you at least can recognize it and say, yeah, that's where I need to be. And Lord, if I'm not like that towards my brother, I'd be like, Lord, forgive me. I'd be like, brother, I haven't been loving. Forgive me. I'm growing. God's still working. I heard someone had a t-shirt and it said, on the front it says, don't give up on me. And then on the back it says, because God's still working on me. But can you see that? I heard Derek Prince say, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. What are we aiming at? Are we, what are we aiming at? <laughs> I'll take that as an amen. See, the church is who the church is because of who God is. See the motivation? And I'm saying it's, come on now. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. You know what I'm saying? That's the basis of the appeal. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's realistic. And it's progressive. If 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, he says, he says, follow me, doesn't he? But he doesn't stop there. What does he say? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus is the only, he's the only power available to bring about real motivation in this direction. And if we're following Christ, guess who we're going to look like? We're going to look like Christ. You know, you guys ever heard of Mark Dever? Nine Marks. Um, fantastic pastor, preacher. Um, he, he says, our unholy lives... Our disunity and lack of love is a lie about what God is like. The character of the church is to reflect the character of God. But how many of you know that's a mature perspective, isn't it? Is that one that we disagree with? But then if we don't disagree with it, the question on the table then is, what are we doing to arrive at that place? personally, and also corporately. You see, 1 Corinthians 10 helps us by, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say agreeing with that. Mark Dever agrees with 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, which pretty much is, if you like, the summary verse of this whole book. It says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, because in the context of 1 Corinthians 10, we'll get there, he's talking about food and drink. But he says, now, those things are valuable, they're vital. But it says, those t and anything else, 
It says, what, name it. Whatever it is, do it all for what? The glory of God. And you see, when we do that, others can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. When we act in mature, I was driving yesterday and I had to drop my son and my daughter somewhere. And as we're driving, like I'm at the lights, yeah? And there's, on, there's, there's, there's traffic across the road coming towards me and they can turn right in front of me. You know what I'm saying? But how many of you know, the way, if you know anything about driving, the way the light system works is I have the right of way. If you want to turn right, you've got to wait until there's a break in the traffic. Well, I'm driving, the brother never even waited. And, he bl- and, he, and, and you know sometimes you think, there's a space there, I'm just going to squeeze through. And they zip through. And when they zip through, you don't even have to touch the brake. You know what I'm saying? So you just have to say, all right, safe. I can allow you. You never made me stop. I kept going about my it's calm. If somebody wants to do it, fine. But this brother, he was going about two miles an hour. And when, he went, and when he bust the right on in front of me, I had to go on my brakes. And when I hit my brakes, yeah, my man, instead of moving a little forward or even, because what I'm expecting at this point is a little, sorry, bro, sorry. My man drove two miles an hour in front of me and screwed me, like to say, and what? Like, like, what, like really, what, what are you going to do? You're gonna, are you going to smash into my car? Like, really? This is what was communicated in, <laughs> in milliseconds. And my son was going nuts in the passenger seat and, 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 and arguing the re, the, his rationale for his anger. You know what I mean? But I was just, calm, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe how calm I was. And I just said to him, you know what? Look, you got somewhere to go. That's why we're in the car. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to, because he's saying, just, just drive into him and mash up the car. Because you mash up your car, but you mash up his car and that will teach him. And I said, and, 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 and thankfully I didn't. Thankfully I didn't. You know what I'm saying? Because it could have just been, and that could have escalated into a worse madness. Who is, I don't even know who the guy is. And he drove off and I said, you know, he'll, he'll get his comeuppance. And when I, as I said that, I felt like I had to say, you know what? But I need to pray for him. Yes. You know what I mean? Because um, now, why did I make that? I, I know I made that point for a reason. So, so whether you eat or drink, in all that you do, do it all to the glory of God, isn't it? And thankfully, I was able to go about my business, and I think my son learned something. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy because I said to him, funnily, I just remember now. I said to him, son, I said, remember about 15 years ago, we was in the car one day and we were driving down Kent House Road around the back of Sydney where I live, driving down the road and something similar happened to me. And guess what happened then? I was the one that wanted to jump out the car and I wanted to, and my son at about 10 years old grabbed me by the arm and said, dad, what are you doing? And I said to him, yes, I said, funny how things change, isn't it? And I had to say, in my mind, I had to say, praise the Lord, maybe there's been a little bit of growth in my life. And I emphasize a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, um, how many of you know, the problem with this church in Corinth is they weren't living holy. And I'm saying they weren't unified and they weren't loving one another. The church, the church in Corinth wasn't living for the glory of God. 
And I'm saying, and I wish I could, I wish I, I wish I had stories like I just told you for days. I don't. I have the opposite. And I'm saying, I've got more bad stories than I have good stories. I say that to my shame. And that's not just the things that I do, but that's the things that I say. And then that's also not the things that I do or say, but the things that go on in my mind that don't eventually make it out in words or actions. Lord, forgive me. You know what I mean? And, 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 and this church in Corinth, yo, but that's one thing. How many of you know the dead and pass on gone, like my mom would say? Pass on gone. You know what I'm saying? But how about us? How about us as a church? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Notice in our strap line, you know, God's people for what? For God's glory, you know. And that's why Paul writes this letter. To them, but also for us. To them, but also for us. Notice, this church is really off key. But notice how Paul feels about the church. Verse 4. Man said, I always thank God for you. I'm like, Paul, for real? I'll be like, this Corinthian church is unholy. The carnal. We're going to see that. They're divided, full of cliques. This church is unloving. It's mad, hateful, and hurtful. And Paul's like, I always, I always thank my God for you. I'll be like, maybe. Sometimes, make, be realistic, Paul. This is me arguing with the text, you know. My man, come on. I mean, sometimes. Always? How do you feel about the church? Not sometimes. But can you say like Paul, I always thank my God for the church. I have to confess that. I think I could, was it last week I confessed? Big, big confession. And I said, and I told you, there are times when I don't. You know what I mean? Um, but how do you realistically feel? I got a feeling that you're probably a bit like me. You know what I'm saying? There are those times when you do thank God for the church. Come on now. You know what I mean? Let's not hate. You know what I mean? On ourselves even. It's like, there are those times where we're like, Lord, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for my church. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for this church. Because how many of you know, if you're hating on the church, you're hating on yourself. Cut your part of the church. You know what I'm saying? And again, that just identifies this division, doesn't it? This potential possible division that can arise. And when it comes to this, so I told you how I feel. We hear how Paul feels. Like I've asked you how you feel about the church. It's like everyone's has a view on the church, you know. Have you, you know, this week and ensuing weeks, um, we've got this Labour election for a new leader, right? Um, this week, um, who, you know who's in front? Like, who's, like, you're like, who, who, who's involved? Like, who's in front? <laughs> yeah. Anybody know who's in front? Yeah. Keir Starmer. Yeah. It wasn't the case last week. Last week, Rebecca Long-Bailey was way out in front. Until she made a comment that have not only have put her back, may have completely scuppered her chances of becoming the leader of the, the Labour Party, leader of the opposition. You know why? Because of some comments that she made about abortion. Mm -hmm. 
And um, her, her comments weren't even that extreme. Her comments were, if a baby is found to be disabled in the womb, it should not be terminated after 24 weeks. She didn't even say abortion was right. She's campaigned for a, woman, a, woman, a woman's right to abort a child. You know what I'm saying? She's pro-choice. Um, but all she said was, come on now. Okay, I'm pro-choice. This woman has the right to choose, but come on. Because there are some babies that are deformed, but they're born. And when they're born, the parents are like, we would never want it another way. We love this child with its deformities. You know what I'm saying? And the child has contributed to changing us. We were the ones who were deformed. The child is actually beautiful and completely healthy. You understand what I'm saying? Now, boy, my girl made this statement. And um, the Telegraph asked the right question, I think, because people were absolutely up in arms. How could a leader of a party have these, this perspective and... I have to give the Telegraph ratings, at least on this point. They asked, on the, the, their big um, headline was, why did a woke liberati have such a problem with Christianity? Because she, even though she hasn't stated that she's a Christian, she said she's a Catholic. You know what I'm saying? But obviously people who are on the outside see Catholic and Christian as all the same. And they're like, and they've asked a good question, haven't they? Why the woke liberati, left wing, you know, have such a problem with Christians. So it's like everybody's got a view on the church. <laughs> Listening to LBC yesterday, I heard a number of people put forth their view of the church in the light of all of this. And what they think about, you know, an antiquated religious system that isn't fit for purpose. And that only, some man come on and he said only 10% of the population hold to this Neanderthal, right-wing, misogynistic, non-progressive perspective from the dark ages. Isn't it? Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he said, it's only 10% of the population that believe that. So basically he's saying 10% of the population are Neanderthal, first thing. But that's a blatant lie. Come on. One out of 10 people think that Come on, let's ask some questions about abortion. I don't think so. Is this on still? Two. Oh, it is. Oh, thank you. Um, I, am I still coming through? Oh, sorry, Manny. But that's what some people think about the church. Now, but there you are. I'd argue historically the church has affected society positively. I'd argue that globally, the church continues to benefit the world, the world positively. I would argue that locally, the church continues to benefit the world positively. How do you feel about the church? How do you feel about your church? How do you feel about this church? Be like, boy, if I asked this question, maybe last week I would have got an answer because maybe there's people who were here last week that ain't here this week. And the reason they, and their response to my question, how do you feel about this church, would be answered by the fact that they're not here. <laughs> That's a real long way of saying something I could have said much more simply, I suspect. But when it comes to the church, our church, your church, my church, quote unquote, it's God's church. How do we feel about it? May God help us to see the church the way Paul does. 
giving thanks for the church. And a part of Paul's encouraging perspective is, is he's not deluded. A part of his encouraging perspective is due to God's work of salvation. How many of you know God starts a work like planting a seed? And that seed, and I'm saying, over a process of time is assured to grow. Due to the, the power that I prayed about. God's divine effectiveness through his grace to bring about transformation. Verse 4, Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you. Let me see if I can go back there. Can I go back there? Because of his grace given you. Here it comes. Where? Oh, there it is again. Do you know this is one of Paul's favorite terms? Being in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul was convinced of good things in this bad church. Why? Because of God's merciful work in them. And sometimes like a seed that you plant, you don't see it immediately. You've got to wait. It takes time, doesn't it? To see that growth and development. They were in Christ. At the moment, they might not look like it. But in time, they would progressively begin to do so. And this speaks about a work that had been done in them previously. And that's my first point. God's gracious work. When? In the past. Verse 4 and 5. When these Corinthians heard the gospel back at the beginning, back in Acts chapter 18, which is where the church in Corinth was, was first started, they heard the gospel and they were justified, which is the first part of the process of salvation, isn't it? John chapter 1, verse 12, says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, speaking of Jesus, God, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. And how many of you know children hopefully don't stay children? In the sense, I mean, I'm a big man, yeah, but I'm still a child as far as my mom's concerned. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But you become a child of God. Initially, you start off as a baby, don't you? First Peter chapter 1. Oh, I didn't read verse 16. So verse 16 of, of John 1, he goes on and he says, From his fullness, that is the fact that we're in Christ, children of God. He says, he says And from his fullness, we have all received not just grace, but grace upon grace overwhelming grace, like amazing grace. And we need it, don't we? Cain, we need it, isn't it, my brother? We need not just grace, but we need God's amazing grace. Isn't it, Grace? We do. And notice how much grace. I mean, grace upon grace is a fullness. It's like, it's like even explaining God's grace can't be done just by saying, here's God's grace. You need to understand that it's it's a, it's, it's, it's a grace that's an overwhelming grace that's more grace than grace Amen. 
itself can describe. And First Peter um, two, First Peter one, as I mentioned, verse twenty-three, talking about the fact that we've been born again, talking about the fact that we've become children of God. Right? It says, "You've been born again." Notice, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Another translation says what for peri- perishable? Old King James. Cor- corruptible and incorruptible. You know what I'm saying? And talking about the, the living and abiding word of God. So if God plants a seed, how many of you know you can, you can expect that that seed is going to grow? And it's going to develop and it's going to blossom and it's going to bear fruit. If God planted it. I'm saying, I'm going to say hello. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> Notice about grace. I should have highlighted it. Forgive me. For by grace you have been saved. Right? The process of salvation began by God working in you by his grace. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and it says, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember, notice it's God's work. Verse 10, and notice, notice the desired outcome. For we are his workmanship. Notice, created in Christ Jesus. Again, talking about our new birth. For what? Now, where were we created? In Christ Jesus. For good works. Not bad works. Like we're going to see outlined in this church in Corinth and mirrored in our own lives. And I'm saying, but good works, notice which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, Paul is praising God. He's thanking God for his effective work of grace has taken place in his believers. Because he knows that there's going to be growth. And And that not because of the people. That because of God's spirit at work in his people, in his church. So we can also be encouraged. <clears throat> in the same way, anticipating God's grace progressively working in us. Don't give up on me. God's still working on me. So I can say, I thank God for you, Adam. Brother, when I heard your voice praying earlier, I'm like, well, I know that voice. And I should do, because it's someone in, 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 in the same church as mine. But then I thought, wait a minute. Bosi. His name's Boyce. We call him Bosi. Bro, you're not Bosi. Amen. Because you know you're saved by grace in it. Come on. Amen. Praise God, man. And I'm saying, I can praise God for his work in your life, bro. You know what I mean? And, and as I look at you and I see your failings and I see your faults, the last thing I need to do is judge you. Although I may need to brace you up. All right, I'm not looking at Adam now. You know what I'm saying? In the same way that I need to be braced up. You know what I mean? But we do it in a way that's redemptive. It's not chatty chatty. It's not accusatory. It's not gossiping. You know what I mean? It's, I want to see you helped, my brother. And I'm hoping you want to see the same for me. As we grow progressively. Through God's grace. We are all still under construction. Okay, that's God's gracious work in the past. We've been justified. We may not look like it, but we've been justified. Our second point, God's gracious work 
in the present, verse 5 to 7a, so the first part of verse 7. For in him, do I need to go, can I go back there? I'll go back there, it's going to be long. It'll be helpful if you consider text on it. Verse 5, for, notice, this is, this is three times in like three verses. For in him, in who? In Christ, you have been, notice, enriched in every way, you know, with all kinds of speech and all knowledge. Thus, God thus confirming our testimony about, about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Like, if one, it, like Paul boasts about this church as much as they're bad off-key church. In the same way, we should boast about our church. We should talk about the good things that God is doing, good things that God has done. And there are some issues, no doubt. You know what I mean? But let's not major on the minors. You know what I mean? Not to say that we overlook them. But often it can be, oh, it's just 90% negative. Yeah, there's 10% positive, about 90% negative. It's like... There's much that we can rejoice about because we like this church, have been enriched in, in a multiplicity of ways. Why? Because Christ is among us, and we don't need to add to the, the naysayers. We don't need that voice is loud enough outside, you know what I'm saying? And notice in two ways, he talks about teaching and speaking, or speech and knowledge, understanding. And they got two gangster teachers, I mean, Paul the Apostle was in this church for a year and a half. How many of you know they would have got some good teaching and instruction? And then Apollos is, 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 is apparently there as well, because remember they said, well, some of us are of Paul, some of us are of Apollos. Apollos, it says in, in the book of Acts, was mighty in the scriptures. He helped many who were Jewish come to faith in Christ by helping their understanding of the Old Testament and how it was outworked and revealed in the new testament he was a, he was he was he was a don you know that man who walked through cambridge and like you know when you go uni yeah and you and you and you get your qualifications and you get that gown and you wear the gown and you got the cap and you get to wear it for a day these brothers they bop around in the university in these capes all the time this is apollos i'm saying if you got paul and you got apollos teaching and instructing you and, 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 and it's funny because in, 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 they themselves have imbibed this and they're able to do it themselves. If you look at the next book, 2 Corinthians, you look at chapter 8, I think it's verse 7. He says, he says, but you, notice, excel in everything. Same church, second book. In everything, in faith, notice, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness. This church were gifted. And I'm saying, and, and, but the thing is, what Paul does is careful not to do. I mean, the first thing is, he, you see how he starts off the book very encouraging, but he's going to get to the difficult issues. We've got to learn to do that. And you've got someone, you've got to tell them about themselves. First of all, give them some encouragement. Big them up a little bit. Get, you know, big them up before you break them down, isn't it? you know what I mean? And, 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 and he come, and, and it's funny because one of the things Paul's going to do is he's going to say, no, he'd be like, wow, you lot, wow, you lot are gifted. And he doesn't even big up himself and say, well, I'm the reason why. You know, he's like, you lot are gifted. And it's a bit like, like when my son used to play, well, he still plays football. 
it's a thing where if, 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 if my son could bend the ball like Beckham, I'd be like, oh, I'd be like, wow, that's nice. But when he takes out the bin, oh, like, get the flags out. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, son, wow, the way you, the way you tied up that rubbish bag. Oh, you know what I'm saying? And then you pulled it out and it started dripping and you drew for some, 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 some kitchen roll. What? And you wiped that up and then you got, so you didn't just leave it. You got some spray thing and you sprayed it and you're, oh, wow. Because, like, the, the gifting is, is, is nice. But the character thing is much more important, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? So, so God was evidently working in their minds and in their understanding. But what needed to, that needed to be outworked in their behavior. And this is what Paul's going to try and drive at. He's like, 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 you lot are gift, you're gifted. Wait till we get to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. You lot are gifted. <laughs> but it's like, let's get some character to go with that. Because if you ain't got no character, your gifting ain't worth nothing. Amen. And that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? It's like, this is about love, you know. You're just a clanging symbol. You're just noisy. Like, get out of here. You're not no blessing to nobody. See? And he wants... He wants he wants all of that teaching, all that understanding to be outworked in their behavior. And the same is true for us, isn't it? So that's God's work in the past and then currently in the present because he's now looking at them in the present. You know what I'm saying? Number three, God's gracious work in the future. Verse 7b to verse, the second part of verse 7 to verse 9. Picking up again in verse 7, he says, look, therefore, he says, you don't lack. I'm not going to go back to the slide. I'll never get forward if I go any further back. Maybe you've got it open in your Bibles, right? Therefore, he says, you do not lack any spiritual gift. As you notice, this is for the future now, as you eagerly wait for what? Our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, can you see, he's not talking about past. He's not talking about the present. He's talking about the future. Verse 8, notice, he will also keep you firm to the end so that... Can you see how he's moved from the beginning stages, the middle stages, and he's, and he's got now gone to the conclusive stages? He says, he will, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God is faithful. Kian said it earlier. God is faithful. I love that song. Jesus is the yes and amen. All the promises in the Old Testament are fulfilled How? In Christ. So you'd be like, oh, how about the law? Don't worry. It's, it's fulfilled in Christ. What, for real? When it comes to the law, Jesus is the, the, the question, the answer is Jesus. Yes. Amen. He's the yes and the. <laughs> when it comes to the promises of God. Verse 9 God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is beautiful because. Can you see how God's work in the past, in the present, and now here in verse 7b through 9, in the future? You see in these, you see in these five verses, verse 4 to 9, and verse 1 to 3, if you say the nine verses, you know God is mentioned, including Christ Jesus, 11 times in nine verses. Where do you think the emphasis is? 
Because of God's, and, and, and God's work through Christ in us. No wonder Paul gives thanks. Because he understands Wagwan. Notice, past, present, and future. They all describe God's work, God's complete work of salvation. God graciously justifies us in the past. God graciously sanctifies us in the present. And God will graciously glorify us in the future. Salvation. And Paul's going to unpack this as he goes through. He says it twice in 1 Corinthians. He talks about the fact that we are saved, we're being saved, and we are yet to be totally saved. We are delivered, we are being delivered, we are yet to be totally delivered. We've been justified, we're being sanctified, and we are yet to be completely glorified. When God begins a work, he doesn't leave it undone. When God begins a work, he doesn't leave it unfinished. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I had the privilege of preaching this at LCM a couple, couple weeks ago. Last week, a couple weeks ago. I don't remember now. Um, verse 23 and 24, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Now may the God of peace himself, jeez, boy, sanctify you 50%. Like somewhat. No, it says completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those three things describe exactly what I just mentioned. How many of you know, like, we say body, soul, and spirit. It's probably more spirit, soul, and body. So God justifies us in a sense. Our spirit is transformed. You're a new creature. You're alien. You just don't realize it fully. You know what I'm saying? That's just our spirit has been transformed. It's been born again, incorruptible seed. But then, how many of you know, the spirit, soul, can be, the soul can be defined as your mind, will, and emotions. And how many of you know our mind, our will, and our emotions, they need some work? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's the process of sanctification. But then what's the third element that's going to be changed? Me and Pastor E got a song. It's called, We're Going to Be Changed, Glorified. It's called, and I'm saying, the third part, not our spirit or our soul, the third part of us that's going to be changed is our physical body. And that's when we are glorified. You see the three dimensions, the three elements and aspects of salvation. We are saved, we're being saved, we're yet to be completely saved. Do any of you remember Mastermind? I say remember, I'm sure it's still on. Mastermind. My man says, he gets to the end of the questions, and what does he say? Beep, 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 beep. He says, I've started, so I'll finish. That's God's testimony in, in, in your life and in my life. Praise God. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, and I'm sure of this. This is Paul again. He ain't gonna, he's not double-minded. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Notice, in the future, at the day of Jesus Christ. It's in the future. It's going to take some time. It's progressive. You know what I'm saying? But it will happen. Aren't you grateful for the fact that God's, God, God, God works graciously in the past. God works graciously in the present. And God works graciously in us in the future. Aren't you grateful for God's gracious work in the church? Historically. Globally. Locally. 
and personally. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your commitment to us. Lord, thank you for your commitment to me because I'm not committed to me. I give up on me often. And Lord, if I give up on me, I hate to talk about the fact that I'm quick to give up on others. Thank you that you don't give up on us. And that, personally, thank you that your commitment, your loving and gracious commitment to us, if we ever doubt it, all we've got to do is look at the cross. Because the Bible says, you have demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. And Father, you're, you don't just love me and you don't just love we who are sitting in this room locally. You do, desperately. You love the church across the borough of Lewisham and across London and across Europe and the rest of the globe. Father, would you help us to love the church? Would you help us, Lord, to stop bad-mouthing your bride? Help us to stop bad-mouthing your woman. Car, you don't like it. And we're beating up on ourselves. Lord, will you help us to be holy? Help us to be unified, Lord. Would you help us to love? And we're only going to do that as we experience, as we enjoy, as we imbibe, as we expose ourselves to your love and that empowers us to then love others how can i say that i love i love you when i don't love my brother that i can see love you that i can't see and, but, but, and i don't love my brother that i can see lord the fact that i love my brother that i can see is because i love you that i can't see lord help us to re lord renew our minds renew our minds lord so that when we get out tomorrow whether we're in the car driving on the mad roads of London or we're at work where people are just skeptical anti-Christian Lord give us Lord give us the fullness of your you've given us the fullness of your grace Lord we need, but we need grace upon grace Lord to effectively walk in this world in ways that will glorify you but Lord as we do that that's indicative of the fact that we're growing we're not going to get it right every time. But Lord, help us to get it right some of the time. And progressively so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality. 